You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, church. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a, gr- for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Christina. Uh, very good morning, everyone. The Lord bless you. This morning, we finally arrive at the last sermon of the series. Uh, This is the longest series I've ever preached. Uh, This is the most uh, back-to-back Sundays I've ever preached. And uh, I want to just appreciate those of you who've been praying for me, uh, those of you who have dropped little encouragements and feedback my way. Uh, And I especially want to appreciate my wife. Uh, She's been praying for me. Uh, She's been holding down the fort in the midst of all the sermon preparation Uh, She's been tremendously patient in long-suffering and seeking her best to encourage me. Uh, Tonight, she's even prepared and arranged for us to have a special dinner as a little celebration of uh, how God has sustained us through this sermon series and so thoughtful, right? Yeah, so really grateful for my wife. I think I wouldn't be able to do this if not for her. Uh, In contrast, I have a daughter who has been totally no help at all, complete nuisance, uh, nothing to thank her for, uh, but she's uh, very adorable. We love her. Uh, Yes, but this uh, sermon series has been such a challenge to me, uh, and I hope you've also been challenged by these sermons uh, to evangelize, uh, to trust in God as your extraordinary evangelist, uh, to walk in obedience. You know, I feel a bit like a gym instructor. Over the past few weeks, uh, it's like I've been giving you the tour of the place. I've been showing you the different equipment, how to use them explaining why it's important to, to you know, keep fit, to, to keep exercising, and so on. And with today's sermon, it's like, I've said what I've needed to say. Right? The tour is finished, and now it's your turn. What will you do? Now, it would be a shame if you were to walk out later and you never actually put anything you've heard uh, into action. So people, would you take the initiative Now that you've heard all these things about evangelism, will you start working out those muscles of faith? Right? Will you put yourself through regular, incremental resistance training by intentionally interacting with non-Christians? 
so that those muscles of faith can be activated and strengthened? Will you keep at it again and again and again until you feel the burn, right? Until you sense God is sanctifying you, removing from you all the excess weight, all the unhealthiness, all the unfitness within you. Now, last week I shared with you some of the platforms, um, some of the opportunities that are coming up. It's here on the screen. Uh, These are just some of the ways that you can start putting those spiritual muscles to work once more. These are just some opportunities, some platforms that you could leverage to invite your loved ones to interact with non-Christians and to initiate sharing the gospel. We've heard so much from God's word. Now let's be doers of that word. This morning, we end our series with a short story. This is not a story about Saul or about Peter. It's a story about some people whose names we don't even know. Right, and how in a city called Antioch, God plants uh, this church, uh, the church that should not have been. Now, I believe this passage today has something to say, firstly, to each and every one of you individually. And it has something to say also to us as a church. And it has something to say to all Christians. Now, as we look at this church that should not have been, a church that no one predicted, a church that people at that time thought was impossible, a church that should have never existed. As we look at this unlikely church, I want to give one final push for all of us to step out in evangelism by addressing six myths about evangelism. Six myths about evangelism, and I'll deal with each one as we go along. So let's begin with uh, a word for you. Our passage today takes us all the way back to the death of a man named Stephen. Now, if you remember, Stephen was appointed by the Jerusalem church uh, to oversee the distribution of bread to the widows. And Stephen not only did that, he also evangelized powerfully. And as a result, he was stoned to death because he would not stop proclaiming the Christ. Now, when Stephen was executed, there was a major persecution that arose and it targeted certain uh, Christians, right? Those who were targeted, they were the Greek-speaking, or what you would call the Hellenistic Jewish Christians. And so these guys, they left Jerusalem. They ran for their lives. And our passage today tells us that they went as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And what we are told is that wherever they were scattered, they were preaching the gospel. They were evangelizing. Now here we find our first myth, that evangelism is only for some. Not for all Christians, only for some. Now maybe you're asking, must I evangelize? Can't the difficult task of evangelism be left to those special Christians? I know those people who are more anointed, more gifted, those who are very xiaoan, very zealous, right? Those with time on their hands. Nothing better to do. Why not leave evangelism to them? Why must I evangelize as well? Now, you take a look at these Christians that are found in our passage today. We don't see Peter, the anointed apostle, among them. We don't see Stephen, the zealous preacher, in their midst. We don't see Philip, the gifted evangelist, among them. These guys are just ordinary Christians. And they are sharing the gospel while fleeing for their lives. 
Now, if, if anybody should be excused from sharing the gospel, it should be these guys. All their energy should be going into protecting their lives, protecting their families. Yet even in such a situation, they are preaching the gospel. And what we see is that even the early church, the early Christians, they recognized that they were called to evangelize. That evangelism wasn't just a job for the apostles or for the leaders of the church or for those who had retired or those who had nothing better to do. Evangelism is for all Christians, not just for some. You are called to evangelize. Now, in our passage today, the unfortunate thing, the sad thing, is that even though these Christians were evangelizing, they were only targeting a group, a certain group of people, and those were the Jews. They were excluding the Gentiles in their, in their evangelism. And maybe there's you know, some kind of reason that they had for this selectiveness uh, in their evangelism. Maybe they were just more comfortable with Jews. Uh, maybe they really believed that Gentiles were excluded from salvation. Now, we don't really know for sure. But then there are these Christians who come from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they come to the city of Antioch, and they went beyond the Jews. They went beyond even the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews. And what we are told is that these guys were preaching to the non-Jews, the Greek-speaking, the Hellenists. They were reaching out to the Gentiles. Now, I cannot overemphasize how much these Christians were breaking the mold. They were going beyond the norm. They were stepping way outside their comfort zones. And they were pioneering an evangelistic movement that had never been seen before. It's never been done before. And this is where we enc I encounter a second myth. That I only need to evangelize my type. Now, there's nothing wrong with starting our evangelism in our circles of friends, our circles of family. There's nothing wrong with that. We should all start there. But our evangelism must not be limited by our circles. In fact, I would go one step further and say that evangelism should redefine our circles. Our circles shouldn't define our evangelism, but our evangelism should define our circles. So I may be a young Indian man, but that doesn't stop me from befriending, uh, befriending the elderly uh, auntie, coffee, coffee shop auntie, right, whom I see every week. Uh, you may be a well-educated lady with a white-collar job. Now, that shouldn't stop you from extending hospitality to a blue-collar Bangladeshi worker around your estate. Now, we may be comfortably settled in Singapore, and we're comfortable with the people here, but that doesn't mean we exclude the possibility that God is calling us uh, to missions. Uh, in Timor or elsewhere, or to plant a church in Singapore or outside of Singapore. Now, the call to evangelism that we all have should make us the most welcoming, the most hospitable people, ready to love, willing to serve even those who are not our type. Evangelism should define our circles. Now, back to the passage as these Christians began to reach out to the Gentiles, this is what happens. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, I'm sure those who were reaching out and evangelizing, I'm sure they were praying a lot for the salvation of these guys. Um, I'm sure they did their best to explain the gospel to the Gentiles. Um, I'm sure they evangelized with hearts of urgency and with hearts of love. 
And as these Christians spent themselves in these ways, many of the Gentiles came to faith. But in our passage today, credit for the Gentiles' salvation doesn't go to the Christians or to their efforts. Instead, credit is given to God that his hand was with them and so there was fruit. Right? We see a great number believe they turned from their sin and they turned to Jesus in repentance. Now, I believe this verse is an encouragement to you. You may be neglecting evangelism because of some kind of fear in your heart. Right? And the truth is that this fear has nothing to do with God. But this fear has probably everything to do with ourselves. Right? The, the lack that we see in our evangelistic ability, what's missing in how persuasive or how eloquent we are. And you may be wondering, how do I overcome this fear in evangelism? Now, verse 21 gives us a starting point. We put our faith in God, that His hand is with us, and that His power to save is so near. Now, on that note, people, let's expose this third myth, that fear is a valid reason not to evangelize. Too often, we've excused ourselves, we've excused one another from evangelism, because we feel fear. There's some kind of discomfort, there's some kind of uncertainty. But that has become a bit too automatic, where we tell ourselves, ah, oh, I don't feel confident, okay, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna evangelize. Right? There's a missing piece there. Because while we say I don't feel confident, yet there should be something pushing back that says I still need to evangelize. So what do I do? Now I think verse 21 again offers us that answer. We need to work against the fear we feel with the faith we have. And what is this faith? It is the assurance that because of Jesus, God is with us. His hand is upon us. And this faith is also the hope that God's power is near, that salvation is at hand, and that today could be the day that your loved ones believe and turn to Jesus. So we must no longer entertain the thought that fear automatically excuses us from having to evangelize. Instead, we must learn to push back with faith. Faith in God's presence with us, faith in the hope that God is near to save today. Now, this is the word for you today. Evangelism is for you, not for someone else. Evangelism should define your circles and not the other way around. And fear is never a valid reason not to evangelize. Now, we've exposed these myths, and now you've got to be intentional to reject them day by day as you sense them coming up in your heart. That's the first part of the passage. The next part, I believe, has a word for us as a church. So now in the city of Antioch, there's a great and there's a growing number of Gentiles who are turning to Jesus, and it's never been done before, it's never been seen before, and news of this starts to spread. So news of, of a church in Antioch, filled not only with Jews, but also with Gentiles, uh, news of that starts to spread quickly, and it finds its way to the church back in Jerusalem. Now, how did the church in Jerusalem respond? Did they say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, so many souls saved, so many people reached, right? Let's tell Antioch to keep up the good work, right? Let's let the Christians there keep doing what they want to do. It's producing results. That's great. But instead, what we see is that they did this. Verse 22 tells us, and they sent 
Barnabas to Antioch. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing that so many people were turning to Jesus. It's awesome that something unheard of before was happening in their day and their age. And it's absolutely amazing that another church was being planted as far away as Antioch. But the Jerusalem church didn't get carried away. Right? They, they, they weren't swept away by all the good things that was happening. The apostles, the Christians that were back in Jerusalem, they knew that there was too much at stake. What if the gospel had been compromised? What if certain Gentiles uh, had brought witchcraft or superstition into the church in Antioch? What if these Gentiles had converted, not out of true repentance, but because there was some kind of economic or social benefit that they could get? There was too much at stake. And so the Jerusalem church sent Barnabas to check out what is happening in Antioch. Now this highlights for our church an important myth that in evangelism, the ends justify the means. Right? Sometimes we think that it doesn't matter how we evangelize as long as we get results. As long as we see people coming to faith, as long as more people say they believe in Jesus, as long as our church is growing in numbers. But this is a dangerous and worldly way of thinking. And the danger is that we might end up deceiving ourselves in order to deceive others. So as a church, we must be careful to preach the gospel, to call sinners to repentance, so that we may really see God's grace bearing fruit in people's lives. And what we see is that Barnabas uh, says the exact same thing, right? In verse 23, when Barnabas came, he saw the grace of God and he was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. What Barnabas saw made him so happy. He saw the grace of God. He saw Christians sharing the gospel of God's grace. He saw God's grace producing the fruit of repentance in the lives of Gentiles. And in his joy, Barnabas encourages the Antioch church not to be more fruitful, not just to keep up the good work, but to remain faithful to Jesus, to obey his commands, to walk in his ways, even as they continue to evangelize. So people, results are important. We do want to see many people coming to the Lord, but results are not all important. We've got to learn to trust God not only in our evangelism, but even after our evangelism, that He would bring about true salvation. Now, having said this, I want to quickly raise another related myth. And it is this. It's either anything goes or one size fits all. Right? There is no other approach to evangelism. Now, the previous myth that we talked about, it says that in evangelism, the ends justify the means. In other words, as long as there are results, anything goes. And we want to reject that kind of approach. But when we reject such an approach, the tendency is that we fly to the other extreme. Right? It's an extreme where we are overly strict about uh, evangelism, where we scrutinize, we police every evangelistic initiative in our church. And to us now, there, there becomes only a very narrow way of doing evangelism. Right? It becomes a one-size-fits-all approach. It's hard for us to find a third way, a middle ground, where we are neither consumed with results, nor are we consumed with such a fear of getting carried away uh, with our evangelism. Now, I believe the Jerusalem church was neither. They weren't consumed with results, nor were they consumed with that kind of fear. They found this middle ground. 
On one hand, they did send someone to see and to check out what was happening in Antioch to make sure nothing funny was going on. But on the other hand, they sent Barnabas. Now, firstly, Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. And that's what he's like. He's an encourager. And so you get the sense that the Jerusalem church wasn't sending an auditor or an inspector. They were sending an encourager. Secondly, Barnabas himself was from Cyprus. He, was a, he had migrated to Jerusalem, but he was originally from Cyprus. Now, the Jerusalem church could have sent someone who would only see things from that narrow Jewish point of view, but instead they sent someone who could identify with the foreign culture, someone who was more likely to be supportive of Gentile Christians. Thirdly, this is what we are told uh, about Barnabas, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. In the entire book of Acts, there is no one who is described as a good man. Only Barnabas is described this way. And so we are reminded that on one hand, you know, we don't want a kind of evangelism that is unfaithful, that compromises the truth of the gospel, uh, just so that we can get more results. But on the other hand, we don't want a kind of culture where we are policing and criticizing every evangelistic initiative in our church. And what we do want is a culture of good men and women, people who are full of the Holy Spirit, who know the will of God, who walk faithfully in God's ways, uh, who who do, do not quench the Holy Spirit, people who are also full of faith who are not full of anxiety or full of fear about the million things that could go wrong. And people who are determined to be encouragers, to be investors, not inspectors or auditors or judges. And that's how Barnabas was. He was an investor. He came, he saw, he celebrated. And later the passage tells us that uh, Barnabas realized that, that, that there were some gaps in the church and he brought Saul to Antioch. And for a whole year, the two of them taught and encouraged and built up the Antioch church. And the result of all that was that more and more people were coming to faith in Antioch. And the Antioch church grew so large that it became perhaps the second most influential church besides the church in Jerusalem. And it became the first interracial, multi-ethnic church. It would become one of the most missional, sending churches in the book of Acts. And I believe that Barnabas played a tremendous role in shepherding and encouraging and in bringing about such growth in the Antioch church. So people, this is the word for us as a church today. We don't want an anything goes approach towards evangelism, but we also don't want a rigid, one size fits all kind of approach. What we do want is like a Barnabas approach towards evangelism, a culture of good men and women committed to building up one another as we give ourselves to the work of faithful and fruitful evangelism. So let's be encouragers, not inspectors. Now, that's the second part of the passage. We come to the final part, which I believe has a word for all Christians. Now, if you look at this story, you realize that the church in Antioch should not have been. But it came to be because the evangelism that should not have happened with the Gentiles happened. And it came to be because the encouragement that should not have come from the Jerusalem church 
came. And the Antioch church became not just any ordinary church, but it was a powerhouse of a church. It would go on to plant multiple churches through the missionaries that were sent out. And I think this is an encouragement for us. Who knows how much God will do when we obey him and simply share the gospel with someone? Who knows how much God will do when we encourage one another in evangelism? Now, as our passage comes to a close, it's just amazing what God has done in the city of Antioch, but God is still not finished. It's here in the city of Antioch that the followers of Jesus Christ are given a special nickname, and that nickname has stuck with us for over 2,000 years. And this is what we are told. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So the non-Christians in Antioch, these were pagan idol worshippers, they gave the followers of Jesus this nickname, Christians, which literally means Christ people. Christ people. Now I've got to ask, what was so special about the Antioch church in, uh, that was there that, that they gained, they, they were given this kind of a nickname? Right? Was it because of the radical unity that they had? Was it because of the radical way that they were living? Now, I think all these things played a role, but the real reason for this nickname goes beyond the radical lifestyle of believers. Instead, I believe the core reason behind this nickname is because of the evangelism of the church. And there are two reasons for why I believe this. First, if you were to look at the context of this passage, you see a strong context of evangelism, of proclamation. The Christians were going to everyone, Jews and Gentiles, with the gospel of Jesus. And there's just this strong connection between uh, this context of evangelism and this new nickname that is given to them. Now, secondly, if you look at the nickname itself, the nickname given to the followers of Jesus is Christian, not Jesusian or Jesusite. Now, I want to remind you, all of us, actually, that Christ is not Jesus' second name or his last name, right? So Jesus Christ is not like Jesus' full name. Jesus is the name. Christ is Jesus' title, right? And that title means the anointed one, right? Christ is the Greek translation of the Jewish word Messiah. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're actually shortening the proper phrase, which is Jesus, the Christ. Right? Christ is the title. And it makes you wonder, why were believers of Jesus associated not with the name of Jesus, but with the title of Christ? And there's just only one real answer. The believers in Antioch were proclaiming the Christ. That Jesus is not just some good moral example that everyone should follow, but Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the anointed one of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this brings us to myth number six. I can be a Christian without bothering about evangelism. So many times as Christians, I think we have a tendency to say, you know what, evangelism is not that important. I just have to live like Jesus, and that's really good enough. Right? I, just, I, I can still be a Christian without having to evangelize. Let me just share with you a story. Now, my two years of national service was one of my lowest points as a Christian. And the totality of my witness, my, 
evangelistic effort uh, during those two years was summarized by uh, two comments that I received. Now, the first comment was made by a close friend of mine in the army, and someone had told him a story about me, and in that story, I had used a lot of vulgarities and so on. And my friend immediately responded to him by saying, your story is fake. Why? Because Johannan never uses vulgarities. Wow, I was so touched to hear that. I felt so good. Right? That's the first comment. Then there's a second comment. So I approached this other guy because I needed to uh, swap my weekend guard duty. Right? And I wanted to swap my Sunday duty for, my, uh, for his Saturday one. And so he was asking me, why did I want to do the Saturday guard duty? Right? Usually the, the Sunday ones are easier. And I told him I wanted my Sunday free so that I could go to church. And his response to me, after knowing me for more than a year, was, huh? You're a Christian? Oh, that was troubling, right? Even though I had been living a relatively holy life, right, by army standards, uh, without saying any vulgarities, what these two comments showed that during my national service, I was not a Christian. I was a Jesusite. Right? I just wanted to live a quiet, decent life, again, at least by army standards, and people just thought I was a nice guy. Why? Because I was not willing to proclaim Jesus the Christ, the saving one. And so people just assumed that I was a nice Hindu boy, or a nice Indian Muslim, or a nice atheist. Now people, if you think being a Christian is all about living a good moral life, just about being a nice person, then you're, you're just trying to be a Jesusite, like I was. And I want to tell you that this world already has too many Jesusites. And I want to tell you that most of them don't even believe in Jesus. They are just nice people. What this world needs are Christians. People who proclaim the Christ. People who talk about the Messiah, that He is the Savior of the world. And if you believe yourself to be a Christian, but it doesn't bother you, that people around you are not saved, that they are going to hell, and your heart is not pricked to pray for the lost around you, if you have never wrestled with trying to share the gospel with someone, then something's wrong. Maybe you've misunderstood what Christianity is all about. Maybe you've been thinking that God just wants you to be a Jesus sign, a nice person. But if we are truly followers of Jesus, evangelism must bother us. We may not be the best evangelists, right? That's not what I'm talking about, but we must be at least concerned about the lostness of others and the proclamation of the gospel. I'm not talking about what we do, but I'm talking about who we are. Christians are evangelists. Now, I recently saw a video that uh, Business Insider put together. It was about how the five major religions spread across the world uh, over the course of human history, and this was from, uh, from 3000 BC to the year 2000. And what struck me about that video was how geographical most religions are. Now, if I mention India to you, you probably think of a particular religion. If I mention the Middle East to you, you probably would think, of a particular religion. If I talked about oriental countries like China and Taiwan or Hong Kong, a particular religion will come to your mind again. And then we have Christianity. Christianity began in Jerusalem, 
but today it's just all over the world. And while most religions are geographical, Christianity is global. And I think of how Christianity has spread throughout the Middle East, how it went through the, the Western world, through South America, right, through Africa, through Asia. I think of this global church of Jesus Christ, and I feel like this global church is a church that should not have been. It should not have been. The church of Jesus Christ should not have been. You, know, you can turn to the person next to you and tell them, you shouldn't be here. Oh, very awkward, I don't know whether to say that. <laughs> but we shouldn't be here, right? None of us, the church of Jesus Christ shouldn't exist. But it does. Why? Because this world and experienced an evangelism that shouldn't have happened. God the Father sent God the Son to die for sinners, for a sinful world, so that sinners could be forgiven. It shouldn't have happened, but it did. And it doesn't stop there. God the Son, on the day of Pentecost, He sent God the Spirit to fill His followers in Jerusalem. And Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be our greater Barnabas, to be our great encourager. And what we see is the Holy Spirit is good. He encourages us to remain faithful to our Lord Jesus with steadfast purpose. The Holy Spirit is good. He supplies our needs. He provides us with the resources that we lack. The Holy Spirit is good. He dwells in us, not to judge us, not to audit us, but to build us up to strengthen us, to lead us from glory to glory. And I know I said I only had six myths prepared regarding evangelism, but there's just one more. Myth number seven. This is where we say, strange. This is where we say, I can't evangelize. And this is the, the myth that we buy into the most. I can't evangelize. I can't do it. I don't know how. I can't be a good witness. And you know what? It's better if I just keep my mouth shut. Now, people, this is a lie. And worse than a lie, this is a half-truth. Because yes, in yourself, you will never be able to truly evangelize. But in Christ, with the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, yes, you can. You can evangelize. And I want you to listen to these words that Paul says to the Galatians. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. And we could put ourselves in there. We could say, oh, foolish Agapians. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And Paul is saying, you already know. You've been told again and again publicly Jesus died for you. He went to the cross for you, for your sins. And then Paul goes on to say, so let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, weren't you saved by believing in Jesus alone and not by anything you did? Right? Didn't you receive the Holy Spirit by listening to the gospel with faith and not because of your actions or your efforts? And then Paul ends with this, then are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You were saved by faith, 
You were filled with the Holy Spirit by faith. You became sons and daughters of God by faith. Then why are you trying to live the Christian life by your own ability? Why are you trying to fulfill Jesus' command to evangelize through your own effort? Why are you looking at all your shortcomings, at your situations, at the things that you are lacking, how you're not good enough and all of that, and then determining that you can't do it? And we are reminded that won't our God, your God, who did not spare his own son for you, won't he provide you with all that you need? Won't he who supplied you his spirit, now through that spirit, supply with the riches of grace found in Jesus? Do you think that you cannot evangelize? That's a lie. It's a half-truth. Now, as you began by the Spirit, don't try to perfect yourself by your own efforts. Put your trust in Jesus. He will perfect you through His Spirit. I invite all of us to stand together. Uh, invite the worship team also to make your way on stage. People, we need to respond to, to our Lord this morning. Uh, been six weeks we've been talking so much about evangelism you've been hearing so much about evangelism this morning we've also been debunking certain lies certain myths about evangelism and i want to invite you right now even to just close your eyes uh, to take a posture of humility a posture of submission before god and i mean you can open up your hands you can bow your head just take that posture of humility before him I believe the call this morning, the challenge this morning is to come before your God and to say to him, Lord, you know what about this, about your command to evangelize? I'm scared, Lord. But Jesus, you are confident. I'm weak, Lord. But Jesus, you are strong. I'm lacking, Lord. But Jesus, you more than make up for it. Lord, I don't have the skills. But Jesus, you have given me your spirit. Lord, I'm not ready. But Jesus, you are calling me. You seem to think I'm ready. Maybe some of us need to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I am old. I'm frail. I don't have a good health. I am, I'm sickly. But we also need to say to him, Lord, you still haven't said that it's time to go home to you yet. Some others of us maybe were saying, I'm sinful, Lord. I've got all kinds of problems. Problems with my spouse, problems with my parents. I'm just so full of unworthiness and guilt. But would you come before the Lord? None of these things are new to Him. Hasn't He already died on the cross for you? Hasn't He already proven that He is committed to you? Hasn't He shown that He is ready to work all these things for you. People, let's come before the Lord this morning. 
calls you to join in his mission to seek and to save the lost. He calls you even now. So would you respond to him? Would you lay down every fear, every doubt, every insecurity, every unsureness, every loneliness, every indifference, every insufficiency? Come before your Lord. Lord, with our heads bowed, with our arms open before you, Lord, we confess again our great need of you. We confess that truly you alone are the Lord of salvation. We hear your call, Lord, to go, to bring the good news, to proclaim that good news. Wherever we are, with whomever we are surrounded by, Lord, we don't have faith for that. Lord, we don't trust you for that. Lord, we find ourselves lacking all kinds of things to do that. But Lord, you gave your life for us. You bought us with your blood when we were at our lowest. And Lord, now our lives are yours. Lord, we belong to you, Lord. Lord, the words of our lips, the meditations of our hearts, they belong to you, Lord. And we thank you for giving us your spirit. Oh, that great Barnabas, that great encourager who fills our heart with hope, who crushes our fear with faith, who delivers us not to muteness or to silence, but to confident proclamation that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. And he has borne the sins of many. All who believe in him will not perish, but shall live. Lord, we come and we look to you, Lord. I want to pray your blessings upon each and every one, that every spiritual blessing will be made available to every heart that has seriously responded to your call. Lord, who dearly wants to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, the risen Savior, the Holy and Anointed One. Father, we look forward to what you will do through our lives. We look forward to what you will do through our church. Lord, even in the coming Easter season, Lord, Lord, mold us into the kind of church that continues to reach the lost. Lord, until that day when your Son returns in all his glory, and on that day, may we be found faithful. And would our hearts be satisfied that we have run that race with endurance and with joy. And so, Lord, we bless you. We bless your holy name. We thank you for your ample provision, Lord. And we turn to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people say. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.